Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. The following is a presentation of the Four Center Podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Force Center Podcast feed. I'm Ken Natsok. And I'm Joseph Scrimshaw, and today we are going to be discussing Disney Gallery, colon, The Mandalorian, colon, Practical. A beautiful, beautiful episode of television. Yes, this was the episode many of us were waiting, where it was not all Baby Yoda, the child, or as Bryce Dallas Howard kept exclaiming, Baby! <laughs> uh, but it was predominantly, and it brought some needed joy uh, during uh, tough times. And Joseph, uh, we would uh, be remiss if we didn't uh, discuss and address some of the things going on and part of the Four Center plan and reaction to it. 
Yeah, so a couple just big picture things. We are decided to uh, go on with uh, recording the podcast because we know people uh, need a break no matter what level of stress of uh, people who, who choose to listen. It you know maybe helps have a moment of joy. It certainly helps us have a moment of joy during stressful times. So we're going to keep recording. We're still figuring out exactly what level of uh, advertising we're going to do because I know for myself personally, I, it, it does bother me when the world is really in pain and chaos and then it's like listen to our podcast is sometimes is a little feels a little tone deaf to me so we're going to figure out the exact right balance for that and then uh we wanted to acknowledge that the world is definitely in pain and suffering on this episode uh we're probably can talk a little bit more about our own personal uh reactions and feelings and processing on the main show because that's where we normally do talk about what's going on in our our lives at the top of the show so we'll we'll save any bigger picture stuff for that right yeah, absolutely. We are going to dive into The Mandalorian, but hey, The Mandalorian is uh, part of Star Wars, and Star Wars is the story of uh, compassion, empathy, hope, uh, defending uh, the peace and uh, the justice in the galaxy. And those are all things that uh, Star Wars uh, has going for it and that we believe and we look outside our walls and, and see um, see a lot of that in uh, being challenged, a lot of that uh, being uh, Asked to grow, forced to grow, hopefully. Uh, and, you know, we, we, just, we just want you all to know in the Force Center audience, we hear you, we feel you. We are very proud that the Force Center community that uh, Joseph, Jennifer, and myself um, started, but you all made, uh, allows for people of all kinds of perspectives, backgrounds, orientations, genders, um, uh, to come to the fandom table and then we make room as best we can. We're not always perfect, uh, I'm sure, but we make room for those who, who normally aren't invited to the table. That's because of all you. And so we want to discuss Star Wars, including a behind-the-scenes show about a show. We want to discuss that with that spirit and acknowledge, uh, yes, as Joseph said, the world uh, is in pain. And you know what? Hey, the world's in pain and suffering every day, but it is highlighted right now and highlighted for good reasons. And it's all on our minds, and it's our on our minds, too. And we'll find the right way with your guys' um, blessings as a listener group to, to do those tweets. Because, uh, yeah, sometimes, hey, it's business, listen to this podcast. But other times, as Joseph said, it's like offering um, a dessert while everyone is starving. And uh, we're not going to. We're going to find the right way to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Well said. And I do really appreciate that our community is uh, diverse and everybody is on board about having fun and thoughtful discussions about Star Wars. And that is one of the things that brings me great joy and why I, I get excited even in really difficult times to be able to do the podcast to know that we have this community where being fun and thoughtful is valued it is and so in that spirit and with you out there listening your blessings and and hopefully your understanding we'll go into this episode of disney gallery colon the mandalorian colon practical here on the 13th episode of the mandalorian report the adventures of luke star killer here we go all right so joseph uh, we got to dive into this after highlighting the amazing technological breakthroughs the volume and all that stuff that goes into making the Mandalorian. This episode took us to the practical side, which we always known was there. In fact, we learned a lot last week that, hey, a lot more practical than we thought, a lot more VR than we thought. So I want to start there. How did you react to that in general, the choice to focus on the practical? 
Oh, I was so excited for it. Everybody was waiting for it. In some ways, to me, it feels like the main event because uh, I think for a lot of people, when you hear you're going to get behind the scenes of The Mandalorian, uh, and for a lot of people, The Mandalorian is the Baby Yoda show, <laughs> mm-hmm. then you're just waiting for that quality time with Baby Yoda uh, and the practical realities uh, behind the child, behind Baby Uh <laughs> But I, I did like that it was expanded beyond that. So it wasn't just about that. It was more the philosophy of practical, the value of practical. And as they highlight in this episode so many times, and we'll talk about the relationship between uh, practical and more computer generated. Um, and I, I really like now in, in retrospect that they did the groundbreaking volume stuff, which was really fascinating. And some of the philosophy and the vision behind computer generated stuff. So then it's a really a compliment to talk about the practical. Yeah. You touched on something there, the philosophy of the practical and we're going to get to something, a moment with Bryce Dallas Howard, where I literally kind of lit up and was like, she's speaking for me and <laughs> loved it. And, and how it, it these these last two episodes have forced me to examine how I look, not how I watch and understand, but how I just look at the Star Wars visuals and where some of my preconceived notions take me, good and bad. And I've been um, enjoying that, uh, that aspect of these last two episodes, but this practical one in particular. So we're going to uh, dive in with uh, Rick Famiglia talking about Star Wars historically using great tech. And I, just, I, I keep saying I'm a fan of this guy, even though I sometimes stumble over his, his wonderful last name. Um, I, I, his voice is so soothing to me. I want an a- ASMR channel of him just discussing Star Wars. I just love, I just love everything he says. I really do. It's been one of the benefits of the series is highlighting him, uh, not just not a director, not a creator, but him for me. Uh, and he talks about historically Star Wars uses uh, great tech, and it, uh, but it brings things down to a relatable human level. And he believes that is uh, the mix, that that mix is, is a balance, and we love that term and balance, that in part uh, in Star Wars, and that part, quote, makes Star Wars. I want to dive into that, Joseph. I want to dive into this idea. There's a lot of things that make Star Wars. We've discussed a lot of them. But in terms of the history of Star Wars and the technical advancements and technology that's come out of Star Wars, we all know that. We've discussed that mixed with the human level. How do you feel uh, about this? Do you have any further thoughts on Rick's belief in, in that special kind of Star Wars balance? Yeah, yeah. This was a really great way to start the episode. I totally agree with you. I was thinking that this morning when I watched the episode for the second time. Not only do I love everything that uh, Rick Famuyiwa has done on screen, but it, the content of what he says, but he's just got such a great energy. He really is like, could I just give you a menu for Depars and you could just read <laughs> everything on it because there is a there is a tone to his uh, demeanor and his perspective. It's just, you know, soothing. It really is. Um, But in terms of the actual great content of what he said, it was yet another way to reflect on this theme that I really love in Star Wars of that it's a cocktail of the new and the old, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And that goes from everything from the storytelling, which we've talked about from the beginning of Luke looking to the future, but wanting to be a Jedi because of his father, on and on. and that also goes to, well, A New Hope was looking back at uh, fantasy and older Hollywood ideas while also technologically moving things forward. It was great to think of that paradigm also being applied just to the actual technology to say, mm-hmm. here is, uh, you know, stop motion. Here is King Kong level tech. 
here is a, a puppetry that's trying to be like 1980 in some ways with Yoda. But then also here is the volume, the absolute most cutting edge in that that spirit of new and old in the technology as well supports mm-hmm. all of these other relationships between new and old that make Star Wars feel, I think, not only special and different, but also real. Yeah, he really highlighted the the, the reality, the the feeling real. He talked about when I saw it. Yeah, it was in space and that. But I, eight year old me was like, I can't wait to be in that world, right? Because he felt it was so real, and that's inspiring on a lot of levels. And and what you're saying too, this series. Look, I think a lot of this stuff is also being accomplished in Rise of Skywalker Solo, uh, in all the movies. I, I really, you know, think of Tarkin, whether, you know, you've, you're fully on board or not, just they pulled that off to some degree. Think of Solo and the natural lighting and uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's L3 and all the new things. And then Rise of Skywalker, you and I were blown away, like, that was real quicksand in a way. But yet the snake, the snake was real, but then they, there's so, I think it's being done in all parts of Star Wars, but this series going into it, Joseph, we kind of felt like, this was going to be that it was an advertisement for all the elements being in balance. And, and, and that makes sense now to hear Rick describe it in this way. Yeah. Yeah. And then I love that it also, he extended that to his experience of watching and creating Star Wars that what, you know, what he was saying wasn't purely technical. That idea about that's what makes Star Wars relatable is that it feels real. Um, which was really powerful for me to hear him say, because that's what I've always loved about uh, chapter two, which uh, talked about in our review. And I think when I did on Collider, it starts to blur Mm -hmm. together, but I love chapter two uh, because it is the most outrageous thing, right? Uh, It is this armored warrior who has to uh, fight all these little scavengers and he gets attacked by a beast and he's saved by a Muppet who uses the force. There's there's nothing about that on the surface that says, yeah, that's my day, but it feels like my day. It feels like the worst days of my life when I get up and I just need to get to work and send one email and I can't find my pants and I lose my keys and there's a traffic accident that I'm stuck in and then the damn printer doesn't work and it feels like that. And to know that that is flowing from his desire to actually create that, it makes me feel great to feel like you you totally intended what I received. Yeah. First of all, I am laughing at the image of uh, you walking into a room looking for your pants and having Ludwig Gordon score behind you. You know, <laughs> where are those spur sounds coming from? I don't even have pants. <laughs> uh, all well said. And this kind of all uh, dovetails into Taika Waititi coming on there. And again, talking about another person who's just fun to listen to for, for different reasons. He, he's soothing too. I'll give him credit for that, but he's just, he's, he's fun. He's so lively. He's so animated, even when he's just describing this. He, he talked about how the going back to New Hope, uh, which all these directors seem to be doing often, and which makes sense with the series, um, how the scuffs and damage on the droids, R2 and 3PO, New Hope, immediately told him and us as fans that there was a history there. And that seems so simple, Joseph, but to go back to 77, because for us, it is what it is. But to go back to 7-7, you could, that's overlooked. That Yes, that's what George was saying. There's a great story here you don't know. Uh, and, and I call this tip of the iceberg production design and and, and, <laughs> and stuff. So I, I'm rambling here, but did the Mando succeed in creating new histories while playing around in familiar places? And, and what do you feel about those droid dents? Yeah, no, I love the droid dents, right? Because it, it, there's been lots of talk about, like, it's a used universe, so it makes you feel mm-hmm. more lived in. But I love this particular perspective of, like, it even happens in story when Luke's like, you got a lot of carbon scoring. Have you seen many battles, you know? 
and it immediately goes like, ooh, what else have they been involved in? Uh, and I feel like in Mandalorian, there is a very uh, concerted effort to recreate that that vibe um, in, in mm. the story, in the design, but also in the storytelling. Like we talked about it. There's there were some uh, fans who were like, why are we going back to Tatooine? Been there, done that. But I want to know what happened to Chalman's Cantina. You know, is it just that the huts collapsed? Um did we actually get killed by a robot? <laughs> is that, uh, you know, a droid? Is that why a droid is working the bar at Chalman's Cantina? Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. As you say, just the introduction of the guild itself. And we learned some of their rules, but not all of them, right? right. And not in its entire history, at least in modern canon. Uh, so you get to wonder about that. Um, the, the whole, this group of Mandalorians is, are always helmeted. And mm-hmm. that doesn't agree with other things we've heard. That's tip of the iceberg, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, we learn and get to see more about Tuscan and Jawa society. And that's tip of the iceberg because that makes you go, well, okay, if the Tuscans have this perspective in that chapter, what were they thinking all these other times we've seen them? Right. Yeah, that's part of the power of what I think some of the best moments in Mando have done. Even, you know, you mentioned the Tuscan Raider scene. I don't like episode five that much. I, I struggle with it. I still do for a lot of various reasons. Uh, but there's a lot of great in there. And that's so, that's so Star Wars, by the way, right? I don't really like the prequels. I do like that one scene. <laughs> the Tuscan Raider scene is damn good. And it's really important. And it's really interesting because it does make you go back and think on 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 even some of the words being used by other characters in the other movies about them. Yeah. Um, and that's part of what Mando did. It, 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 it took all these things we knew and then just said, here's a different way to look at them or here's more questions to ask about them. And then that just became really fun, you know, really. Yeah. Fun. Yeah. Did you, did there are other moments of tip of the iceberg design or storytelling that fired your imagination that made you want to hear the rest of that story or just imagine the rest of that story? I'll tell you the the opening. Um, and the opening of the show is really great. Um, it's it's serves its purpose. It's such a you know cowboy walks into bar, problems arrest. It's great exposition. You know, Horatio Sands, his voice. I love Horatio Sands, by the way. But um, you know, I, and I'm so happy he's that character. But you know, he had he it was Horatio Sands' voice. After a second, you're like, who is? Oh, I wish Christmas is here today. Um, <laughs> But it's it, it's great to get out to exposition. But I gotta tell you, and the times that I've rewatched it, particularly this last time, like a couple weeks ago, I was rewatching the series. I get lost in how that works. What was when did they set that village up or that city up on a uh, on an ice area where monsters are coming out, and why and why couldn't they move? And how many times has the Brian Poisson character? Poisson character almost been eaten before, and he gets eaten on the job here, like all these kind of things. So. Yeah, that's right from the start. They did a great job of just going, here's where we're at. There's other stuff here. We'll leave you to wonder. Yeah, yeah. And that goes back to like great things that uh, Lucas has said about the sociology of like he he wants to figure out why people, why, you know, different societies live where they do and how is that going to affect how they behave or their perception of reality. And, you know, coming from Minnesota where, you know, people do go ice fishing on frozen lakes or, you know, there's a big art event that people build little art shanties and have events on like, did it start out of need or did it start out of just like, we want to explore what it's like to live on a frozen lake. Uh, Maybe we shouldn't when there are monsters underneath it. (laughs) Or yeah. Yeah. You're so, um, not desperate, but interested and keen to live on the fringes of this new republic or the old republic and the empire before it. That you, um, 
that you chose to build your shanty above a sea monster and risk it? <laughs> Is that was better or that's better for you? Yeah. There's fascinating choices to the, you know, we always talk about the state of the galaxy and we need well, a little more state of the galaxy and eh, force awakens. Eh, I, I could take a beat or two more for sure. But this does stuff like this really gives you that state of the galaxy. Yeah. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, hey, Stop me if you've heard this before, Joseph Grimshaw, who has said this many times before, and others, but here in Force Center, you. Um, but John Favreau talked about he and Filoni often joking that this whole series was about playing with their Star Wars toys. <laughs> he went on to talk uh, about giving uh, D-list Star Wars characters a story. Why do we feel this type of nostalgia worked and and uh was i want to be honest here a little more well received than in other star wars storytelling which uh, at times i find that unfair but it was i can't deny a little more well received so i'm dumping a lot of questions out of my toy box in front of you <laughs> but joseph first of all what was your reaction when you literally heard favreau say what has been said so many times before and then you grab your uh a tie fighter and then you grab your bounty hunter and you play <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he literally said you, you grab your Boba Fett action figure and your Jawas action figures and you make them fight. Uh, I think uh, it was gratifying to hear that. Uh, I did that uh, BBC interview the night that Mandalorian was going to premiere, I believe. And I, I laid that out of like, he's really, uh, uh, Favreau and, and Filoni are really uh, people of that generation who played with those action figures and imagined what it would be like if they had other adventures. So that's really going to be the spirit of it. And I believe the BBC correspondent was just like, yeah, but don't you think we have too much Star Wars? <laughs> So it, yeah. it was nice to hear it after I have uh, received some cold responses to that theory. Yeah. And, and um, it just, yeah, sorry. I mean, we, it was said a lot. I mean, you were, you were, I know, a lot, I know it's been said and written in a lot of places. I, I get it. It's not this super giant insightful leap, but it was something you said first to me that never left me. You said in celebration off air as we are going around collecting our toys. <laughs> um, and so it stuck with me, but to, I just had a big laugh and I turned to Grace and I go, Joseph has been saying that for years. <laughs> so, love, great moment for me, just outside of the big stuff there. Yeah. Uh, to the other question, I, this is maybe maybe this is just me. I just I just feel there's a lot of we've talked about a lot of nostalgia, which isn't a bad word to me. A lot of these connections, new histories with old things we're familiar with, and in Mandalorian, it was celebrated a little bit more than the other movies. And I'm not saying the other movies or shows did it all perfectly. I, I am not, but. Am I off base there, or, or is it just because I'm wrapped up in the Mando right now? Uh, help me, Joseph. Help me, Obi-Wan Joseph. <laughs> no, I don't think you're off base at all, and I think uh, the I don't want to come off too much about, like, I'm happy because I was right. Uh, you know, lots of people have said that, as you said. I think that the action figure thing is exciting to me because I lived that experience of wanting more stories and developing these relationships with these characters that you had in Molded Plastic. And that really fulfilling the tip of the iceberg storytelling, which was that desire to go, I want to live in that galaxy more. So what what might this minor character do? What if he what if he or she or they interacted with this other character that they don't interact with in the movie? And I think that spirit of discovery of we want to take something we already know and have it interact and do new things. And I think that's why the nostalgia doesn't feel a ton like nostalgia. Mm. Uh, because it's all like, like Favreau goes on to say about the, the, these aren't just Ugnots. This is an Ugnot with a character and a perspective. 
Um, right. And to contrast that with something that gets like uh, critiqued a lot, which doesn't bother me, but uh, mm-hmm. Dr. Evison and Ponda Baba in Rogue One. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, just a little beat that's thrown in there because Gareth Edwards loved them. <laughs> it's yeah. not, not a big thing. But as a contrast, Dr. Evison does the exact same thing, basically. He almost starts a fight with our young hero for zero re- real reason, right? So it's just, it's that guy doing the thing he does. Whereas, you know, if part of the storytelling of Rogue One was we actually went into Dr. Evison's, you know, horrific medical theater and saw him doing something, I think there would be more excitement because it's taking this character, this little fact we know about him, and then going somewhere new with it. And I think that's the thing about Mandalorian that is making people forgive anything that feels like nostalgia because it's not just nostalgia. I think that yeah, that's really good. That actually helps me a lot uh, to understand because I, 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 I'll admit I always get a little defensive on some of the other things. Um, but like, it, like it, all of it really worked for Solo in me. If, if for me in Solo, I should say. Let me get the words right in my sentence. Um, but uh, you know, Solo had that ah, we didn't need that and everything, and that might be because of what you're saying. There might have been one or two many winks and nods to something you already know. Where I feel they they are giving you a lot of new insight into Han Solo as a character, as a person, as, as a man in that world. I I think there's some great things there, but uh, you know I understand now, especially a year or two removed, what you're saying is sometimes it does does feel like a wink and a nod where Mando Mando doesn't all the time. Yeah, yeah, and I think that maybe there is something even at another level where he he says the D list characters. Um, mm-hmm. But I think yeah. it, it's powerful for we've spent a lot of times with certainly a ton of our characters are underdogs like Han Solo. But, you know, by the time of the sequel trilogy, they've literally become legends. They're, you know, legendary smugglers and, and war heroes. And we have, you know, all of these uh, Jedi with amazing powers and therefore amazing responsibilities. And the, the prequel series is literally the people who have the power in the galaxy, the government and and the Jedi and the, mm-hmm. the queens and the senators. Mandalorian is not just a we're not spending time with the main characters. It's spending time with the people who don't have actual power in the galaxy for the most part, who are just trying to get by. And characters that we've seen before, like Ugnats and Jawas and Tuscans, and showing them having an internal life and a perspective and desires and needs. And those are characters that before we've either seen as just antagonists to the heroes or just servants of the heroes. So it, not only is it a new perspective, it is a perspective that is giving validity to the value of every character that you see in Star Wars. I, this is my new T-shirt. Well said. Um, <laughs> um, and I love all of you Force Center fans who support our uh, repeated phrases, um, uh, nervous ticks or filler words and make them into fun games. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's well said is my thing just because it, it we, we do a lot of uh, – uh, insight sharing on these programs um, just got, got me thinking. This is not, you know, I want to carry on the discussion that we have planned here today. But if this had been what Favreau originally wanted, a Boba Fett series, and yes, we understand Mr. Fett might be roaming on into the story real soon and perhaps already did. Uh, if it was a Boba Fett, the series, would this, would it have worked the same? Because I think there's some, to me, there's some benefit of it's, the Mandalorian, who we don't know, so therefore it's kind of doing what you've been talking about here—something new wrapped up in something old, and it's on the side. But if it was 
Boba Fett. Boba Fett, we would have been like, uh, is, is, am I, is, is, does that make any sense? Yeah, yeah. I think that I think the beginning of the show probably would have had to work to break him down to show you that he is not in this place of kind of power and respect and fear that he was. That he was, yeah, yeah he was a criminal and bounty hunter. He's on the fringes of society, but he was absolutely at the top of the fringes of society. You know, I, I read that bounty hunter uh, war trilogy back mm. in the day as one of the, the legend series expanded universe that I read in in that. In those, Boba Fett is Sherlock Holmes mixed up with, you know, I can't, martial artist, like, he, he can do no wrong, you know? He yeah. is absolutely, he he has thought eight miles, eight mm -hmm. uh, million parsecs ahead of everyone. Um, <laughs> and I think there would have had, had to be some work to, to downgrade him from legend status back to what, what his father Django says, a simple man trying to get by in the universe. Mm -hmm. And they might have a chance to do that in season two. Uh, in this conversation, uh, and this show is put together so well where it just naturally spins off into the next subject. They're the king of like radio transitions, this documentary series here. Because <laughs> uh, from Favre talking about D-lists and Ugnaughts and Empire, we go into one of our favorite characters, Joseph Queel or Queel, Keewheel. It's still said differently every time, like a Star Wars character. I love this sequence because, first and foremost, Misty Rosas got some very due attention for her work as Quill. Uh, as we knew, she was on set and in the costume, but this was, maybe this was new to me. The process had many parts to it. One, her performance, the animatronics of that mask that she wore, and then Nick Nolte's VO already recorded and playing over the set. I didn't know that. I <laughs> could not even have imagined that. How do you feel about this revelation and, and how much I got to say, this is a leading question. How much should we just love her physicality and performing this character? She was so great. Uh, Quill was one of those characters that I absolutely love it. And I kind of just let my mind go about the how. Like there was moments where like, I'm pretty sure that's a person in a costume. There are other moments where like, I'm pretty sure that's an animatronic mouth. The other moments are like, is that CGI? Like what's, is that, <laughs> is Nick Nolte's face involved in this in any way? Like, uh, I enjoyed the mystery and now I enjoyed the mystery being solved. She did a phenomenal job. And and this came up with Queel and comes up later with Baby um, about just this great spirit of teamwork of where we're really, you know, it, I think it's what's exciting to me about it is it's a part of the um, Star Wars lore that I value of uh, flowing, organic, intuitive teamwork and that idea of we all hear the emotion in one of the two to three takes that Nick Nolte recorded. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going with this one. And and you over there kind of know that I'm going to want to lift my head up. And so my eyes should furrow at that point, you know. And, and just being in in, uh, in touch with one another is it's just ex it's exciting and beautiful. It's it's um it's fascinating. This is one of those little moments where I suddenly share something I'd learned and kept secret and everything. Before Nick Nolte was announced for the series, some a friend of mine had said Nolte's walking around the office today. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
Did LA anybody office. let him in or is he? Yeah, yeah right. And this is the LA, uh, probably fat on Favre, more on Favre's side of things than Lucasfilm. I don't know those details. I don't know. They're like, he's walking around. I think what he's going to be doing in this series, because it, it had already been rumored, I think it's going to be VO related and everything like that. So now seeing this and seeing that it was already recorded at some point, and maybe he did a final, you know, pass, come, can't, comes back in. I cannot help but think, because I love the, I think he's great. The voice is great. It's perfect. Um, I can't help think of him as Krusty the Clown in that famous Simpsons clip of just walking. Let me show you how to do it, kid. Get it, get it, get it, and get out. It just the fact that then she's like, "Well, he gave us like two or three reads." <laughs> it's like he probably came in on a Friday and was like, "All right, I'll record some stuff." Uh, yeah. But it, it all worked. It's all hilarious, and it all worked to me. I I know that I have spoken was a beautifully written dia- uh, line of dialogue that was intended, but in in my head canon, I want it to be that Nick Nolte read all of his other lines and then just said, "I have spoken," and left. <laughs> And then they're like, we can use that several times. Oh, it's great. But anyways, uh, just again, uh, hats off or quill mask off to uh, Misty Rosas. I, I really think she is uh, did a great job. It just every, especially if you go back and watch the series now, now getting a little more recognition uh, of, of her. You can see it. You can see her choices. And I really loved it. So it's a character you and I love. Uh, and, it, and I love, like you said, teamwork in making that uh, character. Yeah. <laughs> Final moment here, then we'll take a quick break. And on the other side, yeah, the main event, the main event. But uh, this is this was a moment for me. Bryce Dallas Howard, who again, I just I just uh, I enjoy that Howard family. I want to go to the Howard family picnic there. Bryce Dallas Howard expressed what many of us, and, and that's my notes, but really me, sometimes worry about all this new tech and all these art forms could possibly potentially erase some of the things we all love about traditional practical effects now as we all know uh phantom menace had so many practical uh, effects but it was sold as part of a new era of digital uh, filmmaking and cgi and all those kind of things and we can get lost in that there um i don't want everything i want everything to look better i grew up in the 80s and now when i go back watch some of those movies that i loved i'm like oh god that looked bad um (laughs) You know, so I'm all for it getting better. But, yeah, there's a spirit to it in conjunction and connected to a lot of things we were talking about in this episode already about the reality, the histories, the lived in feel. And that's kind of the crux of this whole episode to me was what Bryce Dallas Howard was talking about. And she was and this is someone who not only just grew up in filmmaking, but has big been an actor and been in big budget productions and pictures so she knows how it can go right and knows how it can go wrong. So I, I don't know. I loved her her being honest about that question as a director and going, all right, it worked. And we did again, we discussed this a little bit last week because of the volume wasn't it had more practical elements to it than maybe as advertised or what we, what we thought, at least I thought. So why do you feel this still matters to us? Is it just generational? We grew up in a different time. Do we want Ray Harryhausen, you know, stop motion <laughs> up there? What are we reacting to? What do you think? Uh, I think, like, not to criticize CGI because obviously there can be great advancements. We talked about that all all last week, which is why I, I, I'm glad that they did that episode. There's so many things about the volume, including, like, the lighting and making it more real for the actors. That's, that's great. Uh, so I, I don't mean any of this is everything yeah. should be practical. Uh, but I do think that there is something to an object in front of you being real, uh, mm-hmm. that it is tactile, that it can be uh, literally touched. And you can even if you can't perceive that, even if you went through and you could fail the test on saying, is that desk in the client's office real or is it on the screen? Even if right. you could fail that test, um, it still matters sometimes, I think, to the actors and particularly 
uh, with something like Queel or something like Baby, uh, where people are having a true emotional reaction to a real physical object. Um, I think that is valuable to mix with the CGI and all the computer advancements. I think there's also just something... Uh, and Filoni, I think, touches on this in his uh, epic closing speech part two uh, in this episode that uh, it goes along with Star Wars. In, in uh, Rick Famuyiwa, I was, believe, was saying this at the top too, of like that's that's this marriage of the old and new is part of what makes it different than other makes Star Wars different than other big budget things. Right. And I think it, again, it's that marriage of the themes in the story with the approach in reality, this idea that the past matters and that there's power in the old ways as well as the new. And, and it's a weird line to draw, but you can draw a line, as Filoni said, from the child being practical to, hey, when Kylo Ren says, uh, kill the past, that's the bad guy. And the message of the movie is that's, that's not right. You shouldn't just erase everything. You should take the value from the past and find a way to move forward. And that's it's literally like the production of The Mandalorian, to me, is following my interpretation of the lesson of the sequel trilogy of take what is valuable from the past, yeah. make it your own and move into the future. I, I think that's so true. Uh, I will avoid saying well said, but then I said it. Uh, <laughs> it's so true because that might be what I'm reacting to because I. And 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 in even this series more than when I watched the actual show, The Mandalorian, I had and I still it's on it's on audio. I can't go back. There's some things I didn't connect with as much because I felt eh, again this is my own kind of hang up on eh, that looks like it was a spaceship on a on a Commodore sixty four. I can't I can't get into I can't get into this and everything. Ah, eh, that's not even Pedro Pascal. And and I, I, I can let that pull me down some paths. Not that some of that those thoughts aren't aren't right to have, but. But I think I was so relieved to see, oh, no, no, they 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 had it the whole time and um, I wasn't seeing it. And to see the relief and joy, not relief, but just joy on Bryce Dallas Howard's face of like, I had this worry, but but that wasn't the worry. And then combining what, what you're talking about, Joseph, is 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 the past fuels the, the future and the present. And we must learn from it, grow from it, take what's, what's valuable and, and change it. All those kind of big philosophical things are present in the making of this, of, of all the star Wars to me right now, but Mandalorian and, and Filoni talks a little bit about that at the end. We'll get back to that, but yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe that's what I'm reacting to both uh, in the past and now. And uh, it all makes sense because it all is uh, ties to Kylo Ren is what you're saying. <laughs> yes, I'm saying a thousand generations live inside baby. Absolutely. In a way, that is very, very true. All right. We are going to take a quick break, reset. And on the other side, that's right. It's baby Yoda time. Stick around for more Mandalorian Report here on Force Center. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's, a, it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you Everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, Four Center fans, don't forget, Four Center is on YouTube. Head over there to catch up with our new show, Star Wars Show and Tell. Joseph, Jennifer, Ken, and special guests sit down and share favorite items from their own Star Wars memorabilia collections. Plus, there's the In Memoriam video series. Encore presentations of Databank Brawl and special programming all there for you and more shows on the way. It's Force Center on YouTube. Check it out.
Welcome back to The Mandalorian Report, episode 13 of our show, looking at episode 5 of the behind-the-scenes show that focused on the 8-episode Mandalorian show. <laughs> Get it? All right. It's all there. It is like the improbability, improbability uh, infinite improbability drive from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Sorry. I'm reading a lot of Hitchhikers lately. As um, long as our oh, podcast doesn't turn into a whale, I'm good. <laughs> Uh, our bowl of petunias oh no not again here we go um this is it the main event baby yoda time but don't call it baby yoda call it the child or just call it baby all right a lot of I, again again bryce dallas howard a superstar a superstar of just like casually drops in you know and then with baby and then that shot of her on set uh, her, who, you know, she's a mother herself, you know, she's in tune to their children, the, the, the child performers on set, just like, what do you think about baby? I was like, I, I like it. I like it. So good. Moment. Good moment. It really, after waiting to hear them talk about the child, talk about baby Yoda to just see and hear her glee and that turn of phrase to have her like, I don't even know how to talk about baby. <laughs> then a couple of seconds later, she says, you know, and then with computer and like, she, she just hates uh, the, <laughs> <laughs> and it's really charming. Well, get rid of those does. Um, so a lot to talk about in the scene and, and, and just we, we certainly might jump around because there were some repeated beats and discussions because everyone wanted to talk about it. And, and I want to start here. Um, uh, <laughs> Werner Herzog. Oh, my God. <laughs> Finally, we got, we've got a not, not enough of him. Not enough of him at all. We got the story. Oh, my God. The, the, the Deborah Chow story of him addressing <laughs> the child as if it was real is amazing. Um, but I want to talk here. His zest for the child to me is not just infectious it is but it ties into a reason this worked uh, the stuff we've been talking about that the new new tech allowed for as he said fantasy to have no bounds it was almost like we were enraptured each week by the fact that we couldn't tell what was real and what wasn't and so we just simply chose to believe in the magic why did this work more for this character than any other character in the history of the world joseph yeah, man, so grateful for those uh, comments from Werner. Uh, you know, heartbreakingly beautiful. <laughs> it can move around in there. Uh, all the great things he said. You know, they talk about it a little bit more later. The people um, who actually, the company who actually designed uh, the puppet, yeah. ultimately, mm. um, talk about like sometimes there's just a little bit of extra spark. And I think that's what's really exciting about it because. Uh, there's lots to break down. There's lots to discuss and analyze. And, and, and obviously we're going to do that with the the pictures and the narrative and the choices and the direction. But that's what's really exciting about it is there's just an extra spark, right? Just everything came together in a way where that little guy, baby, is just full of life and just so totally believable. And then what what's done with that puppet that's so believable is is so powerful to just feel like that it exudes the essence of a creature that is new to the world and i know i know baby is 50 years old uh, but baby through those big eyes is taking the world in and he gets mad he gets happy he he wants his uh his mando daddy sometimes and he's He's so relatable, but it wouldn't come across unless all of these elements had come together to create something that's more than the sum of its parts. That's just like 
the the you know it's almost the you know the puppet is not this crude matter it's a luminous being <laughs> well it's again it's you talk about the teamwork and the spirit of star wars and a lot of people coming together and realizing they need to work together for one goal it, it's all there it's all present and it does just have that touch of magic and 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 the reason you know Werner Herzog's uh, just moments and the words he chooses to describe it. And he's just such an interesting person himself I, uh, that we get. But you got Taika Waititi and Gina Carano. We've seen the clip of, of Carl Weathers even in in story. Just got this is the the child that's got. Um, it, it is that touch of magic, man. It, and it, and it and it, because the way they they went about creating this this uh, character, um, the technical stuff behind it the fact that it could be shot as a real character with real lighting and, and, and even um, in choosing not to go with uh, too many CGI versions of it, but, but limiting, limiting those versions of the child to what the puppet can do, I thought was just one of those little tiny strokes of genius that made all of it work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And leaning into like his little waddle, you know? Um, and, and I think that is com- going from, I remember uh, early with uh, prequels where they're talking about making CGI Yoda and saying, we got to make his ears wobble because in 1980, the, the puppet's ears wobbled and it gave him personality in life. And the fact that even I think moments where we might be seeing a CGI uh, child, he's got that waddle that he does because he's a puppet. Yeah. Oh God, that waddle. Was that uh, when he returns? It's not episode four, right? It's when they return to pick up Cara Dune that, uh, his walking like his dad. It's, it's still one of my favorite moments in the show. Guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. And keeping the, and we're going to come to the other designs here. I want to jump ahead a little bit to Pedro Pascal, um, who had, did have uh, some moments with the, uh, the child on set there talking about how the child activates is, uh, this is a quote from activates your primal childhood dreams. I love that. I love that. Uh, this is to me, I, I believe this is, this is the magic elixir, right? Joseph, this is the ultimate. What if, what if Yoda was a kid and how would it work and what would you do? It's gotta be some of the, the reasons this worked. Yeah, I think so. I think it, it taps into something that I think Yoda has a little bit when we meet him in empire of, of he's relatable to kids. Cause he's this little, uh, weirdo that, uh, people, uh, don't actually believe in or realize actually has, you know, perspective and power. But I think it's a, a different, it, it's different here, obviously, because baby is a baby and it, it's so pure the way he's taking in the world. He's just observing he's hungry he sees that one person plays with that so he'll play with that that's shiny oh he sees he gets a reaction from the mando daddy when he flicks that so he'll flick that he sees violence so he does violence he's so incredibly relatable to just being young but also to just kind of be in a state in the world where you're not making rational uh not not rational you're you're not um going through like logic making and you're not burdened too much by emotions and experiences. You're just reacting intuitively to the world. So that's all relatable to the just great, beautiful uh, baby, just staring at stuff and reacting. But then you add on to that, the fantasy of power on mm. top of all of that, he actually does have power and he can do the things that sometimes we wish we could of, you know, we talked about chapter two being relatable of Mandalorian just trying to get through his crappy day. And here he is about to just be smashed and, you know, probably killed. And, and baby can just lift his hand and make it stop. And there's the fantasy of power that goes along with how relatable he is, is just 
the cutest damn child ever. And he's so he's so pure. I, I think one of my uh, low key favorite moments is him healing grief Karga, including the he's trying he's trying to eat me. <laughs> but just the fact that the that the, the child has um you know no no prejudices, no no preconceived notions, no anything. Just was like um, not even fully aware that grief Karga might have been trying to hurt him before or was part of it. Just is like person hurts. I have the power to heal. It's pretty powerful part of the Star Wars statement. And so to see it just all play out so realistically, again, talking about how they made it the magic, it, it, it is magic. It is really amazing how, because to me, we all, we've talked about it when reviewing the show. It wasn't just that cool character, really cute. It's a meme now. It really hit for big, deep reasons. And, and it was nice to see. Yeah. How, yeah. How they, I, I I don't mean this negatively. Uh, I don't mean this uh, as a challenge question. I honestly am asking: Do you, how how do you think they can capture that magic again in season two? We're already aware of it. We we know the characters there. We're we're desperately we don't want adolescent uh, Yoda. Uh, <laughs> we, we want uh, uh, any thoughts on what what they could do to keep that magic going? I think they have to let the magic evolve, and I, I'm really curious to see what they're going to do with the aging right i mean and not to go into like canon weeds but you know we get questions from people of like yeah there's a little bit of a, a timeline with the species that you don't have to agree with or disagree with but yoda allegedly if we are to believe yoda is his own a reliable narrator of his life that uh, he was he was teaching by 100 yeah. <laughs> so you know baby's got some growing up to do um so there's there's that hanging over the storytelling of is this going to be a coming of age story mm. um but even if it isn't, I feel like we're still going to get some of those beats of magic of, yeah. of the child watching what is happening around him, taking it in. And I guess to answer your question more directly, sure. I think one of the things that was successful in the first season is we didn't see too many repeated beats. When we think of our favorite moments, they mm -hmm. were almost all twists and escalations, right? We see him stop yep. the mud horn. Uh, then that there's that one great moment where he's going to reach out to use the force and he looks at his hand because he isn't sure if he did it or not. Um, <laughs> then, the, the you know, he, it evolves to that very purposeful, I'll stop the flames at the end and mm -hmm. uh, flick him away. We get the uh, the dark side moment where he doesn't understand that um, mm -hmm. that, uh, that Daddy Mando is not actually being hurt and, and chokes Cara uh, mm -hmm. uh, right? Yeah. Um, so everything is is unique, and I think that's key to keeping the magic alive, to seeing uh, new uh, iterations of things that we know are within the capability of the character. But I think also, it, I go to that choking Cara Dune moment of, mm. if this is going to be at least partially a story about the Mandalorian finding where this child belongs, it's also going to be about the child starting to be truly affected and formed by the world. And not have these choices be one-off things, but have yeah. to be like season one. Mando accepted that he's going to be a parent for now, and I think season two might be a little bit okay. Well, what kind of parenting does Mando do then? Does he, you know, make sure that baby's looking away when he has to be violent, you know, or does he, you know, try to teach a uh, baby about when to be violent? All those kind of questions. Mm, yeah, uh, and and when this all leads up to the moment we're not uh, a factor in in yet. Um, much like Maggie Simpson's first words spoken by Elizabeth Taylor, we're going to hear his first word at one point, right? <laughs> that is right. 
And it'll be McClunky. <laughs> McClunky. And then we'll get the definition. Maybe, maybe McClunky is actually the species. <laughs> And Greedo was just like randomly shouting out some facts for Han Solo. That's right. He's doing some Star Wars trivia. <laughs> um, final thing here. All right. They showed we've seen some of these concept ones before, but they highlighted the other baby Yoda designs <laughs> and the key to get to, you know, Favreau's right, man. We, we knew what we had to start with. We I had worked on some stuff before. I, I loved hearing that thought process. And then the winning design comes in and it's it's tough to not look at. You, you you know, from looking back, you go, well, yeah, clearly that was what Darth Vader should have looked like that. You look now. Um, did you have any other designs that, yeah, you know, you kind of liked? Oh, my God. The ugly one. I, I just I love I love the thought process of well, let's try him if he's kind of really traditionally uh, cute, like kind of almost lean into, you know, Hello Kitty kind of uh, style of cute. Yeah. <laughs> let's go real hard the other way <laughs> I, that that image he just he looks he looks not only like don rickles but like a part of don rickles body that i i don't need to see like there's there's a magic to how like yeah <laughs> just gross he looks <laughs> oh god sorry oh, the, that got me that got me Oh yeah, yeah. I went for the ugly one too because there were some other. <laughs> the ugly one, it just was the hair, the little stringy hair, just all everywhere. Yeah, it, it looked like because what we ended up with, um, it's a, it's, it's definitely more of a child design to me. The, the other one was like, someone was like, "How old is it?" It's fifty. Okay, let me draw a fifty-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I mean, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Yeah, it's oh. almost like this Benjamin Button idea of like, well, that's actually what Yoda looked like when he was young. So we're going to start real old. Oh, that's a win. Oh, that makes me laugh. That's great. Uh, any any other final thoughts here, uh, Joseph, on the Baby Yoda discussion before we move on? Uh, just w- wanted to take a second because it, it did flow past quitty, pretty quickly. Uh, just shout out to Chris Alsman, who is the one who did that final design. Um oh, yeah. And, and knowing that he's the one who added that little coat, uh, mm. myself and many, many other people, it's not unique, have made the Ikea monkey comparison. Yeah. And I I would love to know sometime uh, from Chris Alsman uh, if that was conscious, because I think that is a huge part of the magic of the character of looking like they're wrapped up in something that is a little too adult for them and are mm-hmm. like, you're not an adult yet, but you're kind of dressed like you're going out for dinner, <laughs> you know, uh, at a, you know, in a snowy restaurant in Russia, maybe, I don't know. It, there's just something about that jacket. that looks like sort of, I'm bundled up to go out and be a person, but I don't know how to be a person yet. <laughs> uh, it's like me in seventh grade. It's great. I love it. Yeah. Uh, Chris Alsman. That's a great call. I uh, forgot the right one. Uh, that one down. Yeah, just give me a book of Baby Yoda art. I'll be all right. I'll be all right. <laughs> um, next on, they did uh, another smooth transition into IG-11. Hal Hickel, the animation supervisor, talked about the decision. And again, he worked on Rogue One. He said, to take advantage of IG-11's design and not having to be actor slash human driven. Um, I'll start there. In retrospect, was that a choice we liked? Especially, you know, we're part of the generation of fans, Joseph, that they even mentioned on the show, Filoni mentioned kind of directly, of we spent uh, generations 
idolize and looking up to and join IG-88, or IG-88, and he never moved, really. <laughs> uh, even Dave mentioned uh, legends and video games, uh, I think Favre said too. But really, he didn't move. He was pinned to that Star Destroyer bridge. So in retrospect, did, did, do you like the, this decision here to go to uh, non-human driven? Yeah, I love I love the idea. I love the story that, hey, there was this kind of awkward model, a maquette, uh, and that inspired the way he was going to move in the CGI version. I really like it because it's just leaning into IG-88 is one of those characters who looks cool, but also just kind of weird. And you you go like, well, we've been told he's a badass bounty hunter, but he's just this <laughs> weird rod. Uh, how, how does he go about being badass? And I love that they leaned into, well, that's the way he looks. How could he move that would be badass? So instead of, you know, sort of retconning and, and realizing like, oh, all these limbs come out or he, you know, whatever he, I love that they just gave a, a, a why to how yeah. he moves based on how he looks and, and, and how we've all thought about it for years. Yeah, Hal Hickel describing like the kind of the angles and the structure of the design that's been present for for years and how they decided to kind of incorporate that. And even I, I think I, I might be misremembering some of it, but just how even how some of those models or maquettes moved were kind of janky. They're like, well, that's it. Let's kind of build on that. That worked for me because in that first episode, I had that reaction uh, watching at home the very first time going, oh, OK, so that's how. <laughs> right. Yeah. The quite- spinning. Yeah. And I know, again, I know I played uh, Shadows of the Empire. I know, you know, I know IG-88 is part of the second Death Star in his brain. I, 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 I get it. I get all that stuff. <laughs> For me, someone who didn't uh, live and, and, and breathe the, the legends as much as others, that was my response. So to me, I really, in retrospect, loved that decision. It was something different and it was something uh, bold, but something familiar. Hey, kind of one of the themes here. Yeah, absolutely. I think a triumph. A triumph indeed. Uh, John Favreau goes on to talk about needing to reference George's world once again, understandably, but every episode goes into George Lucas and, and something about the past a lot. I, I don't have any agenda behind that. I, I actually so enjoy it. But this was this episode's moment here. Uh, Favreau talked about needing to reference George's world, which means kind of keeping the essence of the world he created honoring it, playing around in that world, uh, but said there's fun to be had on the margins of this saga. And then he cites the holiday special, which he has cited before, and the Ewok TV shows, <laughs> both the movies, uh, the main events. Um, so rapid fire questions here, Joseph, we dive into this part of the discussion. Do we feel like this show is truly in the margins? Uh, do we as fans make it bigger? Like it's in the margins, but we're like, no, it's everything. And it's part of this larger story. Uh, or do we just want it to be bigger? Uh, thus creating the expectations that it won't be, uh, uh, won't be fair going forward to the, to the show. You know what I mean? If, if we're like, if J- Favre's like, we just like our little margins and we're like, no, connect it to rebels. <laughs> uh, is that going to hurt it? Yeah. Yeah. No, these are great questions, Ken. There, there's uh, so much there. I think there's the, there's that meta world of, yeah, if, if things keep coming out and people keep loving Mandalorian and that's like the thing that really the vast majority of fans are all on board with, then, yeah, regardless of what the story is, it's going to take on sort of a legend that is larger than life. Even if the uh, characters don't have a huge impact on the galaxy, it's going to have a huge impact on how we think and react to Star Wars for sure. Uh, I think I think that playing with the margins idea that, uh, that he's talking about is yeah definitely having a spirit of fun uh having parts of star wars where you don't take it too sacred which we're seeing i think he is clearly 
Uh, I think Favreau is clearly pushing back on the like, yeah, 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 I know we've said that about Mandalorians, but I want to tell this story and I want there to be room for it. So I think he's already pushing back a little bit on even kind of some bigger canon stuff Mm. as well as saying, let's shine a light on the D-list characters and make up some new canon and have some fun and some absurdity. There's all that. But I also feel like, uh, I I guess, yes, we are playing in the margins. But when the very first episode of the show is a Mandalorian discovering an infant that is the same species as Yoda and Yaddle, uh, that's immediately touching on a huge part of Star Wars. Uh, right. Yeah, I mean, the baby is just the baby right now. But that is that was one of my first reactions of, oh, we're going to do this. And and right. it, yet to see exactly how they're going to do it. But uh, George created this uh, tip of the iceberg storytelling. and then for himself decided he wanted to give a lot of answers in the prequels but that species in the mystery of it has been one of the untouched things of star wars one of the unanswered questions forever so uh, to me it's it's only in the margin so much when it starts the first episode with one of the holy grails of unanswered star wars questions mm. Ooh, yeah, that's good food for thought because I'm taking what you just said and maybe applying it already to something I don't know much of, which is season two and all these rumors. We're not even going to need to, we don't need to even go to the rumors, but rumors of bigger characters, characters that aren't in the margins anymore. They might have been at one point, but they're big in the minds of a lot of people or someone like maybe Boba Fett that is um, very uh, in the spotlight despite being in the margins of the original trilogy. and that might give fear. I, I know a lot of people, like I say, our, our, our friend of show, Hello Greedo, who generally we always kind of come to the same decisions about Star Wars. We take different paths or have different focuses and interests and reactions to a lot of things. But he's kind of been like the, I, I don't want this to be anything I know. Uh, he, Without saying it directly, I'm not quoting him, just saying like, hey, I want it to be in the margins. But what you're, what you're telling me is one of the things that's like it. it 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 sells that it's in the margins because it is in the margins, but it's not afraid to deal with the big things and the big questions or bigger characters in the right way, uh, and and that gives me some some faith that if they're going to spin this story into a little bit more of bigger characters or plot points, they're still going to know how to handle it. Uh, that's something I, I kind of need to hear, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, and I I think that's um, in a way uh, I'm trying to think of the right way to say this. I think the philosophy that I saw in the first season that I am totally guessing is going to be the philosophy of the second season of we're still doing tip of the iceberg storytelling in our show. Every once in a while, you guys are going to know the rest of the, the iceberg. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't think that at any point Moff Gideon is going to have an expositional scene that fills everybody in on the dark saber. It's just going to be, yeah. if you know it, you know it. Um, and I think the story is going to remain focused on the characters that we know. So I think even if, Every character who's been rumored announced, hey, if uh, if there's a some CGI youth and Luke Skywalker shows up, I think the the story is still going to stay focused on this clan of two as the main characters. Yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. I'm on board for that. <laughs> and, and just imagine him off Gideon. This is the dark saber. Uh, it is though so he, he gives he gives one of those kind of speeches so uh, who knows maybe I'm, but no, I agree with you I think it's just going to be there so uh, we'll see this is the, the big questions to ask going into season two yeah I could be dead wrong about that you're right maybe he will uh, give a 
a threatening speech about the history of the dark saber. Who knows? <laughs> I was really joking. Then as I started to say it, I'm like, well, he did literally go, this is an e-web replete, replacing blaster. But you I, know, you, the, you got me there. I might, uh, I might be disagreeing with myself live on air. I, but I don't think you're wrong in terms of the spirit. I don't think Favreau is approaching any parts of, uh, of his story with needing or feeling like he has to explain it. Um, it's just where it is and, and what he feels are the fun margins. So, yeah. 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 And uh, I, I don't, yeah, I don't think it's a, I don't mean this is a criticism of rebels, but I do think like rebels told it, told its own story about its new characters, but also Ezra did just sort of, it was our tour guide up to Obi-Wan mm-hmm. and Maul's story. And then that episode ultimately, yeah. it, it's absolutely about Ezra too, but that's about finishing Obi-Wan and Maul's story. And I, I, that's the kind of scene that I'm not sure we're going to get in Mandalorian. Right. I, I agree. Yeah. Again, it, I, I, you know, some of these other rumored characters step on through the story and end up in another series. That's, that makes more sense to me. Um, they're in the margins here of this, of this margin, margin playing show, and they'll have their own show later. Uh, I did just no questions here. No questions here, Joseph. I, I just want to talk about Gina Carano being excited about carrying blasters. <laughs> It was, would she say Thanksgiving that she was at her family's yeah. home? And like, I have blasters. <laughs> and her sister kind of, you know, I don't want to say her sister was judging her, but just kind of her sister being like, Gina, did you just say blasters? Oh, yeah. And because Gina pushes up her fake nerd glasses in that clip, just going, oh, yeah, blasters. Ah, God, she's winning me over more and more. Just she, I was already a fan. I used to watch her fights back in the day. So uh, uh, I just I just I just love her enthusiasm for this role. Just love yeah. it. Just love it. Yeah, yeah, joyful, joyful stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, Favreau did a did a name drop here. As, as, as he's, uh, you know, he knows he has some friends. I get it. Uh, he talked about Guillermo del Toro. Uh, taught John and has talked before about the key to being a director of some of these things and creator uh, is to build miniatures so you can end up taking them to your house later. They go into that. It spins off into the the motion contra- uh, motion capture control, all that kind of stuff. Um, but I gotta ask you. Of all the Star Wars uh, things, what miniature would you take home, Joseph Scrimshaw? Oh man, it's hard not to just say the Falcon. I mean, it's uh, not not the maybe a six foot long one they were talking about, but <laughs> there is small Falcon miniature, just a small one that would be lovely to have in my home. Yeah. Okay. I mean, you know, I love my Y wings, but I got to tell you, the one I would, I'd probably would hope that. Uh, you know, uh, I'd, I'd clear room in the garage for it, but that one, the famous one of George Lucas in the sweater standing next to the second Death Star and pointing at it, uh, the shot's been around for years, the behind-the-scenes shot. I want that one. Give me yeah. that one. Yeah, that one's hard to argue with. <laughs> um, from that, uh, they go into the discussion here, but that there's a, a spirit in the de- there was a, a spirit of the production of New Hope that uh, was about having to make do with what you had, without a doubt. That that was a part of uh, what George had to do, what ILM had to do. They were famously in a warehouse over in Van Nuys by the airport. Trust me, folks, drive by that and try to imagine the magic of Star Wars beginning there. It's 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 tough. Uh, I used to live over there. So um, Mando season one did not get a giant budget. And I say this with a little bit of, of just not insider knowledge, but just having heard some of this uh, during the making of it, there is much to do about how much money they got per episode. And wow, wow, wow. Yeah, look, they're, they're dancing on some Disney dollars. I get it. But they, they, they didn't get as much as they had asked for, is what I had been told a few times. If Favreau didn't get, and that was fueling some of the decisions maybe for VO or everything. But now looking at this retrospect, I'm glad. I'm glad because I think they 
had to connect to that spirit of a new hope and really start to play with that spirit of making do with what you have, which creates a special kind of realistic magic. Uh, it's a ramble from me, Joseph. What do you feel about that? No, I well said. Well said. Uh, T-shirt available in all sizes. <laughs> no, I totally agree. I think there's the reality of the, um, oh, hey, we get to have fun recreating these shots the way they were done, which is uh, this spirit of, uh, like we were talking about before, there's still power in the old ways. And how can we do it on a on a lower budget? And in fact, I love that they're talking about doing it the old way actually is a little bit more expensive. So we're going to kind of do it in the garage. Um yeah. All that stuff. I think what it, it, it comes across in the, uh, I think, the final product when people are extremely uh, joyful about making it. Like, I don't think that John Knoll or Hal Hickel are ever like, no, what a boring job. But I right. think probably we're like, well, we're, we got a bunch of money. We're using our toolbox. We're making the problem go away. That's great. But it feels like to me from what they're saying that this is is reconnecting to their youth in that spirit of play and that spirit of adventure of, you know, I'm going to go out with my little with my camera and action figures and figure out how they did some of these shots. And then I'm going to do that. Uh, mm. I think you feel that on screen, that spirit of play and fun and, and childlike adventure. Yeah. And absolutely. Yeah. Every one of these people talking in their own way, John Knowles, pretty quiet guy, it seems, you know, but he's, He's just there and 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 excited and and how Hickle and just the way he's like yeah on Rogue One we did this and that. yeah I love I love a lot of what uh, they're saying here I love all of it but it's just connecting to to uh, some of the parts really really nicely as as a, as a longtime fan. Um, a final thing here, a couple of things here as we wrap up the episode. But hey, this kind of ended with uh, another Filoni speech. Uh, not this one, not as publicized, but I, I, I really liked what Dave here said. And I noticed I, I did a little uh, analysis. He, he didn't look at Kathy Kennedy as much during the speech. I think he was nervous. Cause I think he was like, is this, is this a job interview? I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, Filoni talked about this, he talked about Lucasfilm being built on star Wars. This, this company, even, even after the sale, before the sales built on star Wars, and that kind of allows but also causes the legacy of the franchise to be passed on down to new creators within the company, much like the Jedi. It's passed down from generations to generations. They talked about how uh, the gentleman, gosh, I didn't write his name down, who, who designed uh, Salacious B. Crumb, comes back to design the, the cooked Kowaki monkey lizards here. Yeah, Tony uh, McVeigh. Tony McVeigh. Thank you. Um, Hal Hickel worked on Rogue One. John Knoll, we know his experience. Doug Chang is around. Doug Chang is around the office. All these people. So uh, he feels, and I, really co correctly, I do believe uh, this allows for new energy to be put into the Star Wars stories while respecting where it came from, uh, as it also moves the franchise forward. It go. It has all these things that it has to pay homage to but the responsibility of going forward i really like what he says to me because this means the history is an, an important to star wars as it is to us fans but even more important with that is the future and it has to go forward mandalorian i'd say joseph pretty successful in doing that um not so much a question as a statement <laughs> i can concede the floor to you sir yeah um yeah, I, I think this is uh, something that we've talked about a, a decent amount on Force Center. I remember having some really great conversations with Jennifer about it, of the sort of the pain and, and the, the hope of of losing original contributors to Star Wars, but kind of having the Yoda attitude of, you know, 
that is the way of the things. That is the way of the force. So incredibly sad that Peter Mayhew passed on, but so amazing that he handed down everything he knew to Eunice uh, Swatomo. Um, and I feel like it's great to hear Filoni saying these ideas that are in the stories we're telling, we're also living them because, you know, Tony mm. McVeigh is, uh, he's the Obi-Wan Kenobi of uh, Slasher Speed Crumb. And, mm. you know, help us, Tony McVeigh. You're our only hope. Come teach us how to make quacking monkey lizards again, and we will pass that knowledge on uh, to the next generation, I think mm -hmm. is is great on many levels. And I feel like I'm seeing that in this behind the gallery. I feel like every yeah. episode, and increasing, uh, we check in with that, uh, the young woman, Kim Richards, uh, the, yeah. the first AD, and there's little interview snips of her. Like she comments on like, yeah, no, it was awesome when Gina Carano just picked up Amando and she did it for real. And there's a brief interview clip with her. And the fact that we're we're hearing from these kind of um, old masters uh, sitting around the table in a lot of ways. But we are also seeing people like uh, like uh, uh, Kim Richards going like I, I have this great feeling of like, Five years from now, when there's a breakout hit film that changes all the rules and it's directed by Kim Richards, it'll be awesome to go like, oh, yeah, I remember her from behind the scenes on Mandalorian. Uh, yeah, uh, powerful stuff. I'm glad you mentioned her. Um, my bad for not bringing her up a much uh, in these notes on the, on the show so far. Yeah, she's uh, wonderfully um, uh, just kind of put throughout this series with some great uh, insight and perspective. Uh, and, and I love that. Thanks for bringing her up because, uh, yeah, that is part of the spirit there. And look, sometimes... You know, Ben Burt not being directly involved with, uh, you know, seven, eight or nine and him kind of seemingly, you know, you can twist some of those headlines around, of course, but him kind of like, oh, I don't know why they just didn't bring around. Yeah, that that might upset me as a fan. But you know what? Now Matthew Wood, who was his young intern who grew uh, up in Lucasfilm under Ben Burt's guidance, is the one doing it. That 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 softened the blow for me, who's someone who's a huge Ben Burt fan, as most Star Wars fans are. So. It doesn't mean there's not some challenges in moving it forward um, and finding new stories to tell and new creators behind it, but that the the spirit is there. And I, I really love that. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I totally agree with that. And, it, and it's fun to get to know some of these behind-the-scenes people uh, more. Like David Accord's name first popped to me as a sound uh, person because he does the little uh, noises for uh, for Baby. And then noticing, oh, he did that for Rod of the Hutlet too, you know? Yeah. Uh, and seeing that connective thread. And uh, Sarah and I were uh, re-watching some movies this weekend, and uh, I paused because I saw Hal Hickel's names in the name in the credits and it's like it's eh, the guy from behind the gallery you know uh and and it's great to get to know some of these uh some of these behind the scenes people and, and kind of have have new faves and new heroes yeah i can't wait to run into hal hickle at a celebration and, and awkwardly stumble over my words and scare him like i did <laughs> swear engine from kenner um final we have some final thoughts coming but final question joseph i gotta ask you this how much money in a, a world real world american dollars or republic credits how much money would you pay to see the footage of Werner herzog giving acting directions to the child uh, yeah ten thousand actual human dollars all in advance for sure <laughs> if i had it it's got to be somewhere they're sitting on this gold because this was, we kind of knew there was something, you know, the story of him saying, Hey, use the, use the puppet, you cowards. They talked about it. This seemed to be the moment. There's gotta be all the things on set. Come on. Yeah. The, the, there's no way there isn't footage of that. Right. Uh, they gotta, they gotta release it. Release the Herzog cut. 
really starts. Uh, final thoughts here on this episode, Joseph. Practical uh, look at Mandalorian's practical magics. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it was really, really great. Uh, these continue to be really interesting in terms of just the actual behind the scenes of how did they do that? Cool to hear, like we, we didn't mention, you know, we got to hear uh, some lines being of, of Mando dialogue being delivered by somebody under the helmet, you know, and seeing like, oh, that that's really happening on set. Get to see lots of cool stuff. But it's just so great that it is reflecting the spirit of Star Wars while also being this behind the scenes show um and my final final thought is is that one great shot where uh the puppeteers are having baby just kind of noodle his head back and forth and kind of drum on the table (laughs) yeah it just looks like baby is bored between takes Uh, it's beautiful just a a great beauty yeah glad you brought that up because there was the moment i I saw some people in our discord chatting about it before i'd even seen the episode um uh, of, of Filoni kind of directing the child and then kind of going, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's the stuff like just being blown away on set. That was beautiful. But I, yeah, Grace and I just had, I mean, our hearts melt every time we see baby Yoda. She had about tears of joy just seeing baby Yoda just kind of like, are we uh, ready for the next shot? What are we doing? Uh, <laughs> so great. So great. Oh man. Always fun to dive into this series. I got to tell you fans, you know, Joseph and I, when we said, all right, Hey, I guess we'll cover this uh, behind the scenes show weekly. Um, sounds fun. Some people wanted us to do it. Sure. Hey, it's content. Let's put it out there. Not that we approached it with any kind of cynicism or, uh, boredom. We just were like, all right, let's see what happens. Let's see what this series does. This series, this, this, the, each episode continues to reward me, reward us, Joseph. I certainly don't want to speak for you, but, um, it just continues to be a real fun, uh, a rewarding experience. I, I keep using that word for a reason and, and so happy we decided to do this. Yes. Uh, in, in this case, uh, you have spoken for me. Uh, that's going to be my uh, Queel ripoff line. Ken has spoken. And we have spoken on this episode. We'll see you soon here on Force Center. As always, you can follow us at Force Center Pod, like our Instagram page. Uh, we are on YouTube. Subscribe, like, hit the bell, do all those fun things over there, like our Facebook page. Merch is available. Not yet uh, that uh, uh, well-said shirt, but it might be eventually. Uh, the uh, tpublic.com slash user slash slash Force Center. Uh, Patreon.com slash Force Center is where you can support us. Thanks to all of our supporters. We just got new music from the great Tony Thaxton on Star Wars Ranked. And you can follow me at Kednapsock, then go to uh, and go to Kednapsock.com, then go to josephscrimshot.com for all of your adventures, sir, correct? That's right. josephscrimshot.com has everything. And then, of course, uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joseph Scrimshaw. That is it for right now. We understand these are tough, challenging times, but hey, it's challenging for a reason because you grow through challenges and Star Wars is there with you. We'll see you next time here on The Mandalorian Report. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.